I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Mwah. Most illogical. I saw it. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, Horta, chickens and things, to episode 37 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman, and we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises, and what are those, Steve? That's the Muppets and Star Trek. We have been, and will continue to do, one-to-one reviews of the Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight, we're covering the Muppet Show with special guest star Julie Andrews and Star Trek original series episode, I Mud. But before we get to the reviews... Jarman, do we have any feedback this week? We do. So oh. our friends, uh, both Daniel Hitch of the Temporal Trek and Cosmic Pizza Podcast and Sean Vanderloo of the Russ Robot Soul Forge and Cosmic Pizza Podcast, uh, reached out to us, let us know that The Muppet Show will be streaming on Disney Plus starting right. on February 2021. So uh, this is great to our listeners out there who couldn't find a way You'll to watch The Muppet Show. finally be able to watch a little bit with us. I'm yeah. so excited. I'm interested to see what versions they have. I'm interested to see if there's anything they've got to cut for copyright reasons i'm just interested to see what comes out of it and i hope it's all intact i would love it if it was all intact and most likely most people are getting more people are getting disney plus because of the disney and the marvel draw and uh star wars so now they have muppets on there soon in february so check it out absolutely uh also quick shout out to the cosmic pizza podcast they had a guest on who did desert island movies and in part two i spent a long time talking about the muppet movie and uh, shared some factoids and fun stuff that uh, I bet you you probably have all heard on our show at some point. <laughs> it was great. And then at the end, uh, Sean and Dan and Paul recommended, hey, have you heard of the Muppet Trek podcast? If you like Muppet stuff. Yes. And it was a beautiful natural plug. So here's my beautiful natural plug for the Cosmo Pizza podcast. Check them out. Absolutely. And also if you I- like this, you're going to love that. All right, so it also got uh, thank uh, some kind of Garf we haven't heard from in a little while, but he's been liking our posts and stuff like Yay, that. So we appreciate it. Back. And he tweeted about us to a, a popular Twitter account called Muppet History, and Ooh. they had asked if there was any interest in a Muppet History podcast. And what he said was the closest thing I can think of uh, is hey. is the Muppet Trek podcast. <laughs> we came to mind. And he says, kind of makes it sound like Muppet Trek is bad. It's not. It's fantastic, just to be clear, the way he phrased it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Kind of so I really appreciate that. That's, I love how everybody, I feel like everybody describes us with a disclaimer, and I guess I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's a weird show. Muppet Trek. They review Muppets and Star Trek. Now, hold on. I know that sounds weird. Sounds weird. <laughs> but so did peanut butter and chocolate at one point. And look how well that turned out. And look what happened there. Thanks, George Washington Carver. Yeah. <laughs> so, Steve, tell us about our guest on the Muppet Show this week, Julie Andrews. This week, it is a gem. Julie Andrews, an icon of the stage and screen whose career as a singer, actress, and former has spanned over 70 years. Most widely known for her iconic roles in Mary Poppins as Mary Poppins and Maria in The Sound of Music. What does our generation know her from? Well, all of the above. Additionally, she plays the queen in the the wildly popular Princess Diaries movies and did a recent production with Jim Henson via Netflix, Jim Henson Company via Netflix uh, called Julie's Green Room. Oh, yeah. Which takes theater puppet, uh, takes puppet kids through like performing arts stuff. Nice. It's a lovely show. This week on The Muppet Show, 
Uh, on stage, Kermit introduces Julie Andrews. They immediately get the sound of music thing out of the way with a performance of Lonely Goat Herd, which features a goat yodeling and chickens and Kermit and pigs and dogs. <laughs> Next, we get a Muppet News flash with the newsman reports that ping pong balls and bowling ball have dropped out of a plane. He is then hit by those things. <laughs> Kermit then introduces Gonzo, who's playing a bagpipe on a flagpole. The flagpole is revealed to be being eaten away by a woodchuck as Gonzo plays until he plummets to the ground. Next off, Ralph plays Moonlight Sonata as a crescent move rises. It distracts him, causing him to play poorly, but he ends strong. <laughs> That's a nice finish. Following this, we sort of get a talk spot, which is interrupted by everything from Robin being shot out of a tuba to the Flying Zucchini Brothers shooting across stage to chickens being used as shuttlecocks. It's the second, it's two sessions in a row where they've kind of had a talk spot that's just devolved into something totally different. They're just teasing you, trying to piss you off. I know, I want it back. <laughs> Afterward, we have what you think is at the dance, but bam, all of a sudden, musical number from Gonzo, Won't Somebody Dance With Me. Though it is a lonesome song, it does end with him lovestruck dancing with a chicken. Mm hmm. Up next, we get Lubbock Lou and the Jug Huggers performing Borneo, a nice upbeat music number. Following this, Sam the Eagle addresses the crowd about the importance of industry and technology and how we don't really need to save endangered species until he realizes that bald eagles are an endangered species. <laughs> yes. Afterwards, we get a Muppet new uh, Muppet Labs uh, testing hair growing tonic on Beaker that ends up blowing his top and he ends up with a smoking bald head. We finally get some more Julie Andrews with uh, a whistle, a happy tune as she surrounds herself with big monsters, sort of in a scary courtyard. And battles them, kind of. Well, and they, they eventually tell her that they just wanted her autograph. Yes. And then they sing together all nice at the end. Yeah. Uh, backstage plot this week surrounds the fact that there's just a cow backstage. <laughs> and nobody knows who it belongs to. And the, most of the fun comes from just watching the Muppets get to interact with this cow. Swedish chef tries to cut it up. We do get a quick check-in with Kermit and Julie that gets a lovely little musical performance attached to it uh, when you were a tadpole. Mm -hmm. It's just beautiful, and I'm a sucker for a backstage music number, and this is just one of their great ones. And the Zucchini brothers then plan to shoot the cow out of their cannon. Kermit finally comes to stage to thank Julie one last time, who reveals that the cow is hers. We hear the boom of the Zucchini brothers' cannon with the implications that the cow might be dead. <laughs> And that is what we call the Muppet Show. <laughs> a booma booma. Booma booma. <laughs> Love those guys. Jarman, what'd you think of this week's episode of the Muppet Show with Julie Andrews? I mean, she's just, she oozes just like comfort and charisma every time and she's wholesomeness. on. wholesomeness. And wholesomeness. And it's her voice is so sweet. It's like an angel. It's just so clear. It's like a bell ringing. Um, I can't say, express that enough. And so just anytime she's singing anything, I'm just enthralled and love being there. And I want her to sing me to sleep every night. But uh, yeah, I just thought other than that, it was just a lovely episode. There wasn't uh, one particular sketch or something that stuck out to me as like hilarious or um, or particularly memorable, but just all around good feelings, positive vibes. And um, yeah, I, I, the cow story was cute backstage. It's a real cow. It wasn't a Muppet. And I like how the Muppets actually differentiate. They're like, oh, that's a that's a real cow. <laughs> that's not a Muppet cow. <laughs> they don't say that, but they're basically acting that way. Like, this is strange. This is not a, right. a Muppet animal. And the whole Sam the Eagle thing was funny because it had parallels to people today. Like, we can totally tell that he'd be a MAGA hat wearing guy. <laughs> this is the <laughs> current day. Um, but yeah, so it was it, overall, it's a really an upper, upper echelon episode, but just not, so nothing whole, stood out. Most of the, the fun backstage this week just once again came from watching them interact with this cow and having something real to interact with that wasn't a guest. And that's pretty rare. 
That's true. That's true. I can think of the occasional time when they've had a real chicken on or maybe a real dog for part of a scene. Yeah. But pretty rare. Um, Julie Andrews, of course, was featured well. They got they showed off her two biggest things. Singing and dancing. Uh, well, like Sound of Music and oh, uh, the thing from The King and I. Ah, yes. Um, so, you know, they just they got those out of the way and really showcased what she was known for, which was smart. We got a couple of small independent musical numbers. I like they subverted expectations, like the talk spot that turned into something else. And then the at the dance that turned into a surprise Gonzo musical number. Oh, yeah. And that Gonzo number was, made my girlfriend cry. She was felt so bad for oh, it. Oh, so cute, right? Like, yeah. So awesome. Poor little and guy. At the end, when he finally finds the chicken, it's so nice. <laughs> um, I thought a middle to top episode. Yeah, same here. Middle to top. I think that's But I agree that, that you're right. There's nothing. I would say the goat herd episode, the goat herd number is the most iconic kind of thing to point at from this episode. And that had a lot of sets and it was very elaborate. So I'll definitely. Yeah, I definitely oh, enjoyed that. We're getting to the era of bigger budget for Jim when they get to do much more elaborate sets and things. It's it gets going to get real fun. Yeah, that was a lot. It was it was very enjoyable and pleasant and lovely. Uh, well, music this week we got the Lonely Goat Herd uh, once again from Roger and Hammerstein's Sound of Music featured yodeling from the Austrian Alps. And fun fact for a personal factoid from German and I's life, uh, we were in a production in high school where we got out of having to learn choreography for this number because we held the backdrop for the puppet thing. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> and we didn't have to learn any choreography. We just had to learn when to walk on and off stage. It was great. Eye on a hill that's a lonely goat herd. Uh, after this, we have Ein Klein Nacht Music, a Mozart classic that, that you've heard if you don't go look it up. Uh, part of a large bundle of music his widow sold to a publishing house after his death. Uh. Good and it wasn't her. released for more than 30 years. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that was just sold by his widow in a big, big stack. <laughs> Moonlight Sonata, Sonata, a Beethoven classic. This is one of those rare pieces that was actually popular when he was still alive, which hmm. for classical musicians is actually pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Won't Somebody Dance With Me, written and performed by Lindsay DePaul in 1973, so a relative recent hit before the when this was out. She did have a successful career, but was a bit more infamous for the lineup of boyfriends she had, including Dudley Moore, Ringo Starr, James Coburn, and Elton John's lyricist, Bernie Toppin. Wow. That's a lot. Along with like 10 other famous British guys I didn't know, but all had Wikipedia pages. She's very in demand. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Borneo, written by Walter Donaldson, a writer of other great tunes like The Army's Full of Irish. What? Don't cry, Frenchie. Don't cry. <laughs> Making whoopee. Know that one. And yes, sir, that's my baby, which another fun personal factoid. Jarman and I once sang as part of a barbershop quartet. I forgot about that. <laughs> Walter Donaldson, the writer of that, also wrote Borneo. Oh, okay. I know that Making Whoopi. From a TV special Andrew did, Andrews did just a few years before this, where the Muppets were her guests. Oh. And it's a song that she wrote for Kermit for that. Uh, whistle a happy tune from the King and I, but Rogers and Hammerstein again. Uh, Yul Brenner ended up in the iconic role, but he was not their first choice. His first, their first choice was Dr. Luke Doolittle himself, Rex Harrison, ah. who had played the King in the movie that the musical was based off of. Called also, Anna and the King of Siam. Before it was a musical. Okay. He wasn't available. So they tried to get Alfred Drake, who was the original Curly from Oklahoma. Mm. But he was way too expensive at the time. 
So someone in the cast was like, hey, I know this guy from this thing I was in. And they auditioned Yul Brenner and he was the guy. Probably a Western or something because he was in a lot of Westerns. <laughs> he was also in the original Westworld, Yul Brenner. Um, so yeah, it's, that's the music this week. Very Jordan, nice. What did you think was the best Muppeteering moment? Um, I have to say, because uh, a lot of these, these sketches, you don't think about how difficult they are until you just really think about it. And the one where Andrews was doing a talk spot with Kermit, and all of a sudden they're shooting a bunch of things back and forth. And I was thinking about not only just coordinating the shooting of these Muppets back and forth in front of them, but also the Muppets that she's sitting there with all turning their heads exactly at the same time. And when you think about the Muppeteer is below and can't really see that. So I guess there's going off of Andrew's no, lead, so you know, all of them. So yes, there is some of that sort of coordination, but down below are these televisions. Oh, right. That show them an approximation of what they're seeing above. Oh, uh, of what the Muppets but are then seeing. They, yeah. Huh? So they, so they have an approximate view of what they're and That's how they perform by looking down at the screen and playing within the window. And nowadays, I bet they put like cameras in the eyes of the Muppet so they could put. Like- uh, they actually, uh, God, they patented that technology for the Gorgs for um, Fraggle Rock. And it was later used in something big. God, I can't remember. Hmm. We'll get to Fraggle Rock eventually and we'll talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, little tiny televisions inside the heads was like something developed for Fraggle Rock. That's amazing. Hmm. Go figure. Yeah. What was your favorite? Uh, my moment? favorite was the 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 for whatever. I'm not sure why, but Gonzo on the flagpole and the woodchuck below, like very happily grinding away as he <laughs> looks up at this guy about to like just getting excited. Like I just for whatever reason that struck me as very funny and very well performed. And I loved all those. I don't the know wood, why. Like this, the wood shavings all over his mouth. And he was so happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really cute. So I get it. Jarman, tell us about this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series we watched. All right. So now we have I, Mud, which is the pretty much only time outside the main cast where we have a, a cast member come back from a previous episode. Um, and then I'm Mud, so happy it's Mud. Yeah. And Mud actually does come back later on in the animated series as well. And then comes back in a earlier iteration of himself uh, played by Rain Wilson in Star Trek Discovery. Um, so, yeah, later Rain Wilson, Dwight from The Office fame, as everyone knows him. So anyways, we have uh, this android who's posing as a lieutenant taking over the Enterprise, and his name is Norman, and he takes over the Enterprise and sends the Enterprise to an unknown planet, and once they get there, he forces their main crew to go down to the planet, where they are greeted by good old Harry Mudd, who appears to have made himself king of the entire planet, among a planet full of androids who are serving his every need and calling him lord and master and everything. Yeah, and serving him like a king on a throne. Exactly. Perfectly where he should be. But as it turns out, this all makes him incredibly bored. And on top of that, the androids really have him captive there. So they're they're serving his every need, but he's not allowed to leave. Um, But he promised to deliver them more humans so they could serve them and then learn from them if they let him go. So they agreed, and that's why Norman went to go capture the Enterprise. Norman the android. But um, Mud was actually stranded there after breaking out of prison, which Kirk finally coaxed that information out of him. (laughs) And... While there, Mud decided to make an android of his ex-wife, or I guess it's still his wife. He never actually divorced yeah, his her. his wife who drove him into space. <laughs> yes, and she, she just wanted to drove him farther and farther out into space because he can't stand her because she nags him too much. <laughs> so he made an android of her who will nag him when he turns her on, but turns the robot on, not turns her on like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but when he says shut up, she actually shuts up and shuts down. So that's why he loves it so much. Uh, so the androids tell Kirk that they were built eons ago by an advanced race from the Andromeda galaxy, but uh, that race was killed off long ago. 
So now they're left without a purpose and they want this new purpose of learning and serving humans. So Spock finds out that there are 200,000 of these androids on the planet. So there must be some kind of power source keeping them all going. So they're trying to investigate to find where this power source is. Uh, the androids then try to tempt the crew to stay there one by one by showing them that they can give them whatever they want for the rest of their lives. Uh, a wonderful medical lab for Bones, a great engineering room for Scotty, eternal life and beauty for Ahura apparently is what she wants. Boners you know, for Chekhov. <laughs> boners for Chekhov, yes. Uh, but Kirk talks some sense to them and reminds them of their duty and they are determined to get out of there somehow. Um, so Muddle gathers them all and says he wants to say farewell to them all as he's going to take off in the Enterprise, which now has a fully android crew. Um, but the androids tell him, no, we're not going to listen to you anymore. And instead, they say that, that the human race is too corrupted and they'll use the Enterprise to take control of the human race, which they'll serve their every need, but they'll control them so they don't do any more damage to the universe. Somewhere in there, the main android basically says, we knew you were a piece of crap. We used you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Favorite moment. They just used mud to get a ship, basically. You he's were dead. terrible, even for a human. <laughs> we don't know what he did with those androids, but a lot of sex stuff. <laughs> a lot of sex stuff. <laughs> They they hinted that the best way they can in the 60s in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, Spock eventually figures out that Norman is the only android that has no copies. So he must be the center of control for all the androids. So Kirk decides that they should use wild illogic to be the best weapon against the androids and on Norman in particular. So the crew then does bizarre theatrics and contradictory statements. Yeah, and like what makes someone die yeah, dancing around, and then he tells some, you know, check off to stand completely still, and he's like, yes, sir, and then he starts dancing, and he's like, good job. And um, even Spock plays his part by telling the two twin androids that even though they're identical in every way, that he loves one but hates the other, and they can't reconcile that. Yes, exactly. Um, so finally, Mud and Kirk work together to use the liar's paradox on Norman, So Kirk, where Kirk claims everything Mud says is a lie. And Mud says, now listen carefully, Norman, I am lying. And this puts the final nail in Norman's logic coffin, and he just shuts down, shutting down all the rest of the androids as well, because who could resist that? Um, the Enterprise crew then reprograms the androids and wakes them up again, and they set them to go back to their original task of making this planet habitable for future life. But they also say that Mud will have to remain on the planet. He can't go anywhere else until he learns to be less irritating. <laughs> I think it's what Kirk said. Um and they have programmed one special android to attend to all his needs while he's there. It's his, it's his wife. Yeah, 500 copies of his nagging wife, Stella, will be doing that for him. So they basically put Mud into his own personal hell. Um, he'll probably kill himself, but, uh, you know, Star Trek happy. Uh, so <laughs> what did you think of this episode, Steve? All right, so things I liked. I liked that it opened with Bones kind of being sensitive to Spock. There was a really nice moment. Oh, what did he say again? I can't remember. So he sees the 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 guy who ends up being an android, and he's like, I don't trust a man who doesn't smile, or something like that. Mm. He's walking with Spock, and he goes, Spock, what I meant was it's not normal for a human to not smile. I trust you. It was like kind of like a nice That's true. McCoy moment that you don't get often. Sincere. Um, I love Mud. He was so exceptional. It was great to to think that he was the villain and then realize that he was just as screwed as the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. He was not in control. Um, I love how crazy the premise got and how sort of the surreal when they're playing with the androids and messing with them. God, that was kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, things I disliked as soon as we found out they were androids, I said to myself, 
this is going to be another Kirk tricks a computer episode. <laughs> yeah. And I was right. But mm-hmm. this may be the grandest of all the Kirk tricks a computer episodes. Oh, yeah. It's like this 15 minutes be of the it. Best, the, the, the pinnacle of Kirk tricking computers. <laughs> I think there's a couple more, but this might still be the best. Well, there's done. been at least six so far. <laughs> this is the best of Kirk tricking computers. I just love the liar's paradox thing. Isn't that the one they, they used in Labyrinth as well? Uh, one of us always lies, one of us always tells the truth. But if you're lying, then he's telling the truth. Is that how it works? Oh, I don't know. I never understood it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's your Trek connection to something Henson. Bam. <laughs> you got some Trek factoids? I do. So this is us with. the third season appearance of, oh, there was a third series appearance of Harry Mudd that was planned, but it was axed due to the desire from the producers to move away from comedy episodes, which is no. funny because season three has goofy episodes that aren't meant to be comedy, but they're funny no. anyways. But he does come back for... Uh, the, the animated series and for um and he was going to be in the movies in the 80s but his health was failing at that point so he couldn't make it um during the filming uh joseph d'agosta was uh one of the uh the casting directors he was in a panic because he couldn't find two female identical twins that were suitable for the role but they needed twins for this episode so one night while he was driving home he saw the twins that are featured in this episode just walking down the street um in los angeles and so he literally pulled over his car and jumped out and said, you're going to be on television. <laughs> and luckily, they weren't bad. Like, they were actually decent actresses. So it kind of oh, worked good. out. Yeah. Um, according to Walter Koenig, our checkoff, um, NBC considered making Harry Mudd a spinoff show after the success of this episode. And they assigned Gene Roddenberry to develop the idea. But he got busy with other Star Trek projects and other projects. So he didn't have time for it. So it just never quite made it to, to air. But there it was almost a Harry Mudd spinoff. Which wow, okay. I would I would watch that show in a second. I bet a lot of people would have. If they did it with Rain Wilson, I would watch it every week. Oh, that's true. We should do that now. Um, with the exception of the actors who played members of the Enterprise crew, Roger Carmel was the only actor to play a character more than once on an episode of Star Trek, as we said. And uh, Stella Mudd, his wife, um, with slight modifications, is wearing the same dress as that actress from The Conscience of the King, that other episode you like a lot. So she's wearing okay. the same exact dress um, in that episode that they put on Stella Mudd later on. So there's some little factoids for you guys. Wait, wait, wait. Isn't, you said he's the only one to be on more than one episode. Wasn't there some Scottman character in the first season? There's some crewman that... McFadden um, or something like that. You mean the guy who's making fun of Kirk and jumping around and stuff? On no, that no, no, no. It, it would have been in the episode where Sulu thought he was a pirate. He is the guy who's like, I'm the king of Scotland. Ah. <laughs> I, don't I think he was around. I swear he was around for like two episodes. But was he a crewman? I think. What's they're saying? Besides the members of the Enterprise crew, he's oh, the only person who's appeared more than once. Never mind. Yeah. I was like, no, there were others. I'm the king of Scotland. <laughs> You know, the one where Sulu is a pirate for some reason. Oh, yeah, where they all get drunk, basically. Yeah, they all get drunk, but it turns them into their most base self. But for some reason, that's a pirate and a, the king of Scotland. Yeah, like Sulu took his shirt off and was at a little epi and was like going around yeah. chasing after people. It was yeah, real good. It was real good. I got some track connections you want to hear? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Julie Andrews is in The Sound of Music opposite Christopher Plummer, who was the villain Chang in Star Trek Six. <laughs> Uh, well, earlier this, this is just overall funny. Earlier this year, Justin Bieber randomly challenged Tom Cruise to fight in the octagon. 
the hell? And apparently there was this big craze of random celebrities challenging each other to combat online. <laughs> okay. Well, Brent Spinner of from Data of Star Trek The Next Generation. Spiner, yeah. Spiner, Spiner, Brent Spiner, Data from Next Generation, jokingly challenged Angela Lansbury online. <laughs> and who came to her defense? Julie Andrews. Year-old Julie Andrews co-star for Mary Poppins, Dick Van Dyke. Got <laughs> back at Brent Spiner. Oh my God! Voting back, I will defend the honor of Dame Lansbury for free. The pier at sundown. Be there if you dare. He threatened Brent Spiner. <laughs> <laughs> That's so random. So random. Oh. I don't know anything at all this week. <laughs> Let's talk similarities. These were basically the same show. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I mean, because both have a race of people that are not as they seem. The subservient robots, the, the androids, uh, who are actually turned out to be wanting to take over the, the world, and the monsters who are prowling Andrews in the park, they just really want her to get, the, get her autograph and a picture. Yeah. Both feature people forcefully being brought to the surface, Gonzo by the beaver and the crew by angry robots. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, both have someone professing their love, uh, Spock to the android and Andrews to Kermit. Oh, both yeah. feature dancing Gonzo in his number slash at the dance and the crew as they confuse the robots with whimsy. <laughs> whimsy. <laughs> oh, God. What's that? Transporter malfunction. Transporter malfunction. So the part of the show now where we take one character from one of the episodes and transfer to the other episode and vice versa. So what do you got for us, Steve? For Trek to Muppets this week, I've got mud coming over and replacing the cow backstage. No one knows why he's there as he pesters people inexplicably as they come in on and off for appearances. <laughs> I have uh, Harry Mudd's wife, uh, Stella, trading <laughs> places with Julie Andrews. <laughs> So awful, as she awful sings, episode. she sings all the songs really shrill and terrible. She's like, ah, where is he? <laughs> I got to hell. There's a lonely goat. Uh, Muppets to Trek. I replace all the robot clones with flying zucchini brothers <laughs> who think just the meaning of all the human stuff is just blowing things up and across the room. <laughs> It'll make good sense. Yes. That makes me happy. Boom, 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 boom. I have Gonzo trading places with mud. Um, I think Fozzie would be a better replacement for Mud, but he wasn't really in this episode of Muppets much at all. So I think that would be fair. So I said, but Gonzo would be good Mud too. And he also would be good at, you know, moping around poor me. Uh, well, and also, yeah, like his desire for people to pay attention to him, I think would be filled perfectly by this robot army. Yeah, that's very true. But he'd be good Mud. I think Fozzie would be the best Mud, but Gonzo would be good second. Gonzo is a good second Mud. Yeah. That brings us to the end of episode 37 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Join us next time for The Muppet Show with special guest Peter Sellers. An original series episode, Metamorphosis. So, from the lovers, the dreamers, and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. Thank you.